So what do you do when you get really, really angry? Can you remember the last time that you got really, really angry? Was that this morning or maybe yesterday, maybe further back, I hope? I read this week about Keith Wallandowski. Did you read about him, this Milwaukee man, 56 years old, who shot his lawnmower with a sawed-off shotgun? It's an interesting story. Um, he, um, he shot it and his wife called the police and uh, they arrested him. And did you hear his response? He said, I'm allowed to do that. It's my mower. It's, it's, it's my yard and it's my gun and I can shoot it if I want to. But the authorities disagreed. They um, said he could face an $11,000 fine. How many mowers could you buy with that? And uh, six years and three months in prison if convicted. Not to mention that the mower may never mow again. I have on occasion been put out with a printer, but never that mad at a mower. Today we look at another of the uh, seven deadly sins. I want to think with you about wrath. And I just want to say from the very start that I could stand up here on a soapbox this morning and pontificate to you about how wrong it is to be addicted to gambling. And I could preach about something I know nothing about. But when I come to anger, I come with a measure of humility Because I have lost my temper. I wonder if you have as well. Would you open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read the Old and the New Testaments. And uh, we've been in Proverbs this summer, first a series for our families. And then as we began this study of the seven deadly sins, these Proverbs have much advice for us. I think the New Testament completes that and gives us an antidote Or an answer for our anger. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Proverbs 15 verse 1. Do you know this verse? It's a good one to know. For instance, if somebody is angry at you. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. But a patient man calms a quarrel. I turn the page in my Bible, Proverbs 16, verse 32, where it says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. But in Ephesians chapter 4 is, I think, in the New Testament, a word to help us with this real issue. Talking about living as children of the light in verse 22, Ephesians 4 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You may be seated. Everybody I know struggles with anger from time to time. The question that Paul poses in Ephesians chapter 4 is, should we as Christians handle anger differently than non-Christians do? And to sort of help us understand that, he, he paints this portrait of putting off, verse 22, like an old garment of clothes. Put off the old, he says, be renewed in the attitude of your mind, verse 23. And then in verse 24, he says, put on the new. And to give us examples, he says, for instance, maybe before you became a Christian, you were a compulsive liar. People knew you were lying because your lips were moving. But then, after you became a Christian... You started, I love the way he expressed it earlier in Ephesians 4, truthing in love. We don't make truth a verb, do we? But he does. He says, speaking the truth in love. Or, or maybe he says, you used to steal. You used to, to shoplift or, uh, or you stole from your boss or you cheated on your taxes. But when you became a follower of Christ, you stopped stealing. You put off the old, he says. You were made new in the attitude of your minds. And what did you do? You started working with your hands, doing something useful. Why? So that you would have something to give. Before Christ, you were a taker. After Christ, you are a giver. Or, for instance, he says, maybe you used to be one who used foul language. You used to curse people. But in Christ, you became those who bless other people. Or perhaps, he says, you were a very angry person and you erupted volcanically, verbally, all over everybody around you. And now, he says, in Christ you have learned to become like Christ, forgiving and compassionate, tender-hearted, giving grace because you have received grace. As I understand this seventh uh, deadly sin, or one of the seven, we have two more to go, it occurs to me that we may do more damage to the cause of the kingdom of God through anger than perhaps any other sin we can name. Because, because as we get angry with one another, we, we, we are unbelievable to the unbelieving world because they hear us talk about Christ forgiving and then they see us not forgiving each other or forgiving them. In contrast with that, I would point out the way of Christ, as Paul does, and, and say to you that in Christ, we are not bound forever to, to say, well, it's just the way that I am. Our motive is not the mere management of our madness. Rather, he says, we can be angry without sinning. I wonder how we would do that. How particularly do you struggle with anger? Maybe you would find yourself in that category of person who would say, I get angry really quickly and I say what I'm thinking and then I'm done with it. How many of you would say, you can just raise your hand and show us if you, okay, I'll close my eyes and just raise your hand. It's good. It's good. Just confession is good for the soul. Or maybe you're in that category that says, you know, I've got a really long fuse. I don't get angry quickly, but when I do get angry, I keep it for, oh, two or three millennia. I mean, I just hold on to it for a really, really long time. I have a problem with holding on to grudges. So you'd, you'd, you'd raise your hand and say, that, that's my, I'll close my eyes. Okay, go ahead. How many of you would have to, I'm going to keep my eyes open for this one. How many of you would raise both your hands? You'd say, you know, I, I get mad quickly and I hold on to it for a long time. Or maybe you don't have to raise your hand today because through the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe you used to be, as Paul says, a very angry person, but you become tenderhearted. 
You know, in the Bible, there's an example of a person like that. John, the apostle, was a son of thunder. Remember he wanted to call down? Remember the Gospel of John? He wanted to call down lightning to, to, to light up and, and set fire to a city in Samaria because they wouldn't receive Jesus into their city. And then, at the end of his ministry, remember First John? Where he says, my little children, let us love one another for love is of God and God is love. And he has been transformed and changed a son of thunder into one who has learned to love. That could happen to me. That could happen to you. It should be happening in us as followers of Jesus Christ. And as I invite you to look at this passage of scripture, I would just show you that God has grace for all gears. So if you would have raised your hand the first time, if you had been courageous enough to do so, and you say, my anger is volcanic I just verbally erupt I remember when I was in high school I lived in Great Falls Montana and I remember walking out a couple days before my graduation from high school and looking up and it was and it was there was precipitation coming from the sky but it wasn't of the frozen or wet variety it was ash from Mount St. Helens a mountain hundreds of miles away was was scattering ash and I don't know about you but I've noticed through the years that when I become very very angry that sometimes the fallout goes on and on as one tour guide in the Andes mountains said to a group of tourists that one would have been the tallest if it hadn't blown its top the problem with anger is it diminishes us and keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be. God's purpose for us and His plan for us is better than for us to continually live with a constant anger and friction, always mad at somebody about something, always erupting and, and, and just sort of spewing acid into the air that, that damages all that it touches. This is not what God has for us. And I know we can look in the scripture and see examples of, of angry people, people who became angry. Moses, who, who broke the stone tablets, is an example of anger. Uh, Samson had all kinds of issues with anger. Read his story sometime in the book of Judges. Uh, Elisha, when the, when the kids were making fun of him, calling him bald, and he calls the bears out. That's kind of a scary story. You know, they're all kind of Jonah who sits outside the city of Nineveh waiting for the fireworks to start in the New Testament. John and James, sons of thunder, Peter who, who lops off the ear of somebody the night that Jesus is being betrayed. It's amazing how many people are angry. It's in our world as well. I read that up in Oregon, now that people are not driving as much because of gas prices, that the motorcycle riders and the bicycle riders and the car drivers are getting into it with each other. And uh, they're having fist fights and getting into difficulty. And there's just a, a wave of anger. So we have new terms for it. We talk about road rage as a, a type of anger that happens that we just somehow change when we get inside our cars and we take a front and offend at everything everybody does. How do you feel when somebody honks their horn at you when you take too long leaving the light? It makes us angry, doesn't it? And what are we to do with that anger? Well, we could just erupt volcanically out of control, but we are under the Spirit's control. And so he, he describes it for us and he says, particularly we must be careful in what we say to each other in anger. So he says, in your anger, do not sin. How would I not sin if I were a person who erupted quickly? Well, he says... You would have to surrender your words and your attitudes and your actions to the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So what would that look like? Well, he says, well, in verse 31, you'd get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. That kind of covers it all, doesn't it? Along with every form of malice. He uses six different words. In case we thought some of our kind of anger was more righteous than other anger, he says, just get rid of all of it. There's no place for that in your life. Don't speak that way to each other. He talks a lot about the words we speak in verse 29. Unwholesome talk. Words that tear others down. Think about the proliferation of profanity in our generation. I think history will look back at the generation coming up and say they were exposed to more profanity through the media than perhaps any generation in recent memory. And as we hear it, we begin to think that's the way that people talk. Well, that's not the way Paul says. That's not the way that believers talk. That's not the way that we live. We are different from the world. We're even different than we used to be. Why? Because Christ is changing us so we don't talk that way to each other. Uh, The Chinese have a proverb that says, The fastest horse cannot outrun a word spoken in anger. It's hard to bring it back, isn't it? Once Once we let it out, it's hard to reach out there and try to find and get back what we've said. So we must be careful before we even open our mouths and what we're going to say. Beyond that, I would say, we can't even talk to others about others. That's why he uses the word slander there. And the word he uses for the devil in verse 27 is a word that means slanderer. The Greek word diabolos. I think it's come over into Spanish uh, pretty much intact. And the idea that, that Satan is an accuser. He's a slanderer who talks badly about other people. And if we talk badly about other people, we are just like him. But the verse says we're supposed to be like our heavenly father, imitators of God. Chapter five, verse one, not imitators of the devil, giving him a foothold in our lives by talking badly about other people. It's a temptation for us. In fact, sometimes we get angry that other people have mistreated other people and we hold on to that anger. And that's a sin as well. Um, Pastor Eddie Halleck has has taught me something about this. He says, taking up the offense of others may be one of the the worst sins we, we wrestle with in the church because somebody did something to somebody and we get mad about what somebody did to somebody else and maybe they've already forgiven each other, but we just can't let it go. Where do we find grace to forgive something that hasn't even happened to us? We need to learn not to take up the offenses of others. In fact, anger is so toxic. The best way I can describe it to you is sometimes uh, Pastor Larry Bertrand and I find ourselves, we were recently up at Memorial's uh, Moore Hospital Southwest and we were down there to visit one of our great saints who's now gone home to be with the Lord, Herb Graham, a great saint of God. And and uh, we went down there to see him and he was so sick that they made us wash our hands before we went in. They made us put on robes. Have you done this? And put on the gloves and put on the shoes and the hat and the mask and everything so we could go in and pray with him. And then we had to take all that off right there. And there's a big garbage can right there because you couldn't leave the room with that with that on because they didn't want the infection to spread to anybody else. If you're going to visit somebody else, you have to wash your hands a couple of times. And I just want to say, I think anger is just that toxic. I think if we let anger out against somebody or about somebody else, we will discover that it does that same kind of damage. In fact, the only safe place I know to bring out our anger is in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. In fact, in a strange way, I think that's what those psalms, you know the psalms that are imprecatory psalms, or we, we might call them cursing psalms, where the psalmist says, Lord, get my, get my enemies, get them bad, Lord, you know, repay them for what they've done to me. And we look at that, I used to look at that when I was a teenager and go, how did that make it into the Bible? I mean, if I say something like that, I think I'm in trouble, you know, and here this guy's talking to God about that. But I love Philip Yancey's little book, The Bible Jesus Read. He says, maybe, maybe the only safe place we can bring out our anger 
is in the presence of a forgiving God. Because I'll tell you what happens when we bring our anger out into His presence. He, uh, he uh, takes away the venom. He, he, uh, uh, he defuses the bomb before it detonates. And so before we take it to anybody else, to our friends or our neighbors, so we can build up support to say how badly we've been mistreated, instead of that... The first thing we do is go to God. Philip Yancey says he walks up a hill behind his house every night and talks to God about the people he thinks who have wronged him that day. That way he doesn't have to talk to other people about it. And he doesn't have to talk to them about it because God takes away that venom and that anger. I was reading a book some time ago. Kathleen Norris has written some interesting books. Cloister Walk, another book called Amazing Grace. She tells about how little kids are sometimes the best at writing imprecatory psalms. They're good at imprecation, particularly little kids who have older brothers and sisters who pick on them. They're good at writing out these sort of cursing psalms. And, and she had one little boy in her class and she asked him to write one. And he wrote one and he called it the monster who was sorry. And this is what he wrote. When my dad yells at me, I want to throw my sister down. I want to wreck my room. I want to wreck my house. I want to wreck my whole town. And then I sit down in my messy room and say... I shouldn't have done all of that. Well, that's honest, isn't it? It's very transparent. And if we could learn to take it to God first, I think we could keep from damaging others. And might I say ourselves, because it might not change the person who's harmed us in some way, but I promise you it will change us. And we're the ones who need to be changed in the way we speak. James says in James chapter 3, if anybody could learn to control his tongue or her tongue... Uh, he would be a perfect person. She would be a perfect person because the tongue is like a little flame that sets a whole forest on fire. We must be very careful in the words that we speak that God might be honored. And so he says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath. It stops wrath right in its tracks. You know this is true. If somebody's really angry at you and you come to them and the first word you say is, and I'm going to tell you another thing, that's just a recipe for trouble. But if you look at them and say, you're right, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. You know how differently that conversation will go. This is the way God has called us to live. Not to speak our anger. And second, I would say to you, not to keep our anger. So maybe we're those who harbor grudges against others. I I heard about a preacher years ago named Max Shorter who was six feet eight inches tall and he always used to say, I forgive, but I don't forget. Later, at one point in his life, he had to leave the ministry because he said, I've got a problem with anger and I can't seem to forget. There are other people, by the way, who forget but don't forgive. You know anybody like that? They're still mad at somebody but they can't even remember why but they just know they're really mad at that person because that person mistreated them. That's a dangerous way to live our lives. In fact, that's no way to live our lives. What does Paul say about it? He says, well, it causes problems. If we let the sun go down on our anger, see, that's the time limit for your anger. If the sun goes down, be happy. Just get over the anger before the sun goes down. Why? Because if I carry it into the next day, it festers and it creates more problems. And he says, one thing it'll do, verse 27, is it'll give the devil a foothold in your life. So you'll find if you're angry... I'll find if I'm angry that I'm more susceptible 
to other sins as well. Because I've got this anger and that doesn't honor God. And what does it do? Verse 30. Not only does it give the devil a foothold in my life, verse 27, but it grieves the Holy Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And the Holy Spirit is not content with you and I being angry people. So he is sort of cardened off to a part of my life and doesn't have full control of my life. And that grieves God. And I don't want to grieve the Lord. Why? Because he's been too good to me for me to live a life that grieves him. And so he invites us in verses 32 and chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, to become like our heavenly Father. What if you and I live like Jesus lived? You know, he was always angry at the right time for the right reason. Now, I want to be that way, but that's not particularly the way that I am. But, but to be angry for the right reason at the right time, as he describes it, he, he says Jesus was one who was kind and compassionate, who forgave. And since we've been forgiven, we also ought to forgive. We ought to be imitators of God. We ought to become like him. Why? Because we're his children. We're no longer sons and daughters of thunder. We're sons and daughters of God. And he has set us free from that. And we can learn. We can learn from the Holy Spirit not to live lives of anger. Dale Carnegie years ago told about watching a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park. He was there and he said he watched this bear and he just marveled at the power of this bear, how it was unequaled in North America in its strength and its majesty. And, it, and it, this, this bear came into an area and all the other animals cleared out and just began to eat the leftovers from some campers there. And the grizzly bear was unchallenged except by one small little black and white striped animal. A skunk came in right next to the grizzly bear looked up at the grizzly and just began to eat. And, and Carnegie said, I could tell the grizzly bear didn't like the skunk being there and that he could have easily dispatched the, the skunk with just a, a single wave of his arm. He could have launched the skunk. But the thing about grizzly bears, Dale Carnegie said, is they're smarter than people because they know the high cost of getting even. <laughs> Costs a lot to get even, doesn't it? Costs more than we want to pay. In fact, I'm not sure we ever do get even. In fact, it's so costly. Getting even is so costly. It costs the Son of God his life on the cross. When he was on the cross, one of the sins he was dying for was our anger. And I invite you to realize that my anger, that causes me problems with God. It causes me problems with people. But can you believe this? My anger might cause problems for other people with God. Let me show you that. The world is watching the kingdom has done much harm by our anger. When Christians are known as the angry people, when we're known as the thou shalt not people, as the people who are against everything but not for anything, that's a very dangerous reputation for us to carry. I pray that that's not our reputation in the community. God wants us to be loving, forgiving, compassionate people because that's the way He is. And that kind of winsome attitude wins others to the Lord. An example I remember from years ago, Jess Moody telling about a little boy who had a favorite dog and his favorite dog had a problem. It raided the neighbor's hen houses, chicken coops and one older curmudgeon in the neighborhood, old man Smith was angry and he said, if your dog comes on my property again, I'm going to shoot your dog. And so the boy tried to chain his dog up, but the dog would get loose and he came home one day from school and found that old man Smith had kept his word. His dog was hanging there on a fence post. He had been shot for going on the old man's property. And he walked in his house, walked right by his mother, stormed into his bedroom. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting my shotgun. Why, she said. He said, so I can shoot old man Smith's horse. She said, don't. He said, I, I must. She said, you wouldn't. He said, I would. She said, you couldn't. He said, I could. And he said, then she arrested me with her words. In poetry, she said, don't debate. 
Don't escalate. For heaven's sake, bake him a cake. He said, I turned around and said, what? And she said, bake him a cake. He said, I spent the afternoon covered with flour from head to foot, baking a cake for the man who had shot my dog. He said, I remember the long walk up onto his porch, handing him that cake with all the affection, I suppose, that Seinfeld has for Newman, saying, this cake is for you. The old man took the cake in disbelief. And then that Sunday, something happened that that had not happened in that community for a long time. The church was full. And old man Smith came walking in the doors of the church for the first time that anybody could remember. Sat down on a pew. Walked down the aisle at the end of the service. Received Christ as his Savior. And the pastor said, what has happened to you? And he said, I have to get to know the God who would make a little boy bake a cake for the man who shot his dog. Believe me when I say the world is watching. And if you and I actually lived what has happened to us, our new building, our facilities couldn't contain the people who would want to be a part of a church that loves and forgives like that. Do you believe it can happen? I believe it can if we start today. Living, do you love the the alliteration in verse 2? Live a life of love. Would you pray with me, Father? Because we have been loved, we want to love. Because we've been graced, we want to grace others, Lord. Because we've been forgiven, we want to forgive. And Lord, this does not come easily to people like me, to people like us. We're going to need your help with this, Father. But I thank you that your help is available and internal. Help us to internalize the truth of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, not to be grieved, but to empower us to be the people of God, your children at work in this world. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who is kind and compassionate. Amen.